Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Left off last time, Atahualpa had just brought his civil war against his brother to a close, and was turning his attention to the small, strange, and weirdly arrogant band of outsiders who were marching around his empire. He had invited them to Cajamarca to get a better look at them, and perhaps to put an end to the matter. It's hard to know exactly what his intentions were but we do know from the fact that he had sent them gifts and from his actions at the meeting, he did plan to talk to them in good faith, at least to begin with. Perhaps just until he had an idea of who they were and what they wanted. As we shall see, the Spanish did not have the same intentions. One of them, a man named Miguel de Estete, wrote an account of what the Spanish saw when they arrived in Cajamarca a vast number of tents, and he says that nothing like it had been seen in the Americas until then. He says that the sheer scale of it filled the Spaniards with fear, but that if they showed this, then the indigenous people they had gathered to assist them probably would have turned on them. If some of his men were rightly scared, being so vastly outnumbered and in a strange unknown land, I don't believe that Pizarro himself was. His actions so far show him to be a classic mad conquistador, in the model that we've seen so many times before on this podcast. The type that, driven by some combination of simple greed, desperation, some sort of deeply held belief in Spanish and Christian superiority, stubbornness, or perhaps some sort of genetic disorder which prevented them from feeling fear, no matter what was in front of them. He was prepared, no determined, to risk everything against stupid odds. As we've also seen, often these people failed. Many ended up killed by the people they tried to conquer, or by other Spaniards. But sometimes they succeeded by bluff, lightning-quick action and luck. The geography and architecture of Cajamarca is important. It had mountains on either side, and a plain behind it, which is where the Inca army was camped. The town itself was empty, and its central square was walled. There were only two entrances allowing access. Pizarro realised immediately that the Inca had given him what would serve adequately as an improvised fortress, something which was especially useful given his small number of troops. He marched straight into the square, 
and waited for news from Atahualpa. He ordered his men to stay prepared for an attack which could come at any time. In the centre of the square was a raised platform which was used for religious ceremonies. From here, the Inca camp could be seen. He ordered men with guns to keep watch from there, so they wouldn't be surprised, and so that, having no knowledge of firearms, perhaps if an attack did come, they would be able to scare off, or at least delay the Inca, a trick which we know had worked in the Americas before. As night fell, it began to rain, and he had no word from Atahualpa. Pizarro may have been confident, but it's hard to imagine what many of his men were feeling. Far from home, potentially trapped in this town, all around them, in the buildings of Cajamarca, evidence that this was a complex and developed empire they were dealing with. I imagine that many of them didn't get much sleep that night. To initiate discussions, Pizarro sent de Soto to go meet with Atahualpa. He took with him 20 men. When he did not return quickly, Pizarro sent his brother, Hernando, to find out what had happened. De Soto had been delayed because, understandably, Atahualpa was not in a rush to meet him. As strange as these foreigners were, and as much as he would have to investigate what they were up to, he was the victorious empire. He had other things to deal with. What's more, Atahualpa was participating in a multi-day ritual which involved fasting and washing. De Soto found him in a bathhouse. I can't find much information about this ritual, but I speculate that perhaps it was something to do with purifying himself after the Civil War. As you would imagine, the meeting was tense. The gist of what De Soto said was that they were servants of the Pope and the ruler of the great Spanish Empire. He said that they were there as friends and brothers to enlighten the Inca and show them the right way. This received no response. Apparently, Atahualpa listened impassively, without giving anything away. He was probably irritated by the cheek of these people, acting like they held all the cards, when in fact they held none. He also may have had some trouble understanding the message. Besides the fact that De Soto was introducing a lot of previously unheard concepts and people, there is some speculation about how effective the translation could have been. They had designated a young man they had found in Tumbes as their translator, but he wouldn't have had very long to learn Spanish. And what's more, he wasn't Inca. His people had been conquered by them, and so he would have had to have learnt their language. He may well have spoken a pidgin form of Quechua, or even a dialect. On top of this, he found himself thrust in front of the great Inca himself, the one who his people had rebelled against and suffered greatly as a consequence. It's hard to imagine that he wasn't terrified by the situation and that this may have affected his performance. At this moment, Hernando Pizarro arrived and De Soto introduced him. Atahualpa finally felt compelled to say something. He impassively told them of reports he'd received of them capturing local officials on the coast and holding them prisoner. It's fair enough that he raised this point, really, considering that they were within Inca territory, breaking Inca laws and mistreating Atahualpa's representatives. These reports were true, but Hernando denied them and said that the Spanish considered themselves allies. He gave Atahualpa his ring as a sign of friendship. 
It seems that Atahualpa had seen enough. He had confirmed to himself that these Spaniards weren't anything to worry about, and so he ordered Chicha to be brought so that they could drink together. He told De Soto and Hernando to go back, and that he would come to see Pizarro tomorrow. On the face of it, the meeting had been a success for both sides. The first contact had been harmonious, and led to a show of good faith. Once it was finished, however, both had their own plans. Despite their overconfidence, Atahualpa had now seen the Spanish with his own eyes, and they had walked right into a position of extreme weakness. Tomorrow, he could finish them off, and then move on to deal with more important business in Cusco. The Spanish leaders had pretty much the same plan, but of course it would be a whole lot more difficult for them to pull it off. Atahualpa believed that they had been drawn into his lair. They believed that walking into it was the only way to succeed. They knew in detail the story of Cortes and Moctezuma in Mexico, and they intended to repeat it. If they could decapitate the empire by capturing Atahualpa, the rest would fall, and all its numerical advantage would mean nothing. Pizarro was just the man to do this, as were his brothers and de Soto. They would need suicidal nerve, but that's exactly what they had. They would turn the square they occupied into their lair, and then they would draw Atahualpa in. A few days ago, I arrived back in Bogota, Colombia. I'm delighted to be back in Latin America, surrounded by all the sights and sounds I love. It's been a while since I was here, though, and my Spanish has become a little rusty. If you've ever learned a language for a trip abroad, to connect with family and friends, or simply just for the fun of it, you might know what I mean. To help get me back up to scratch, I've been using Rosetta Stone. It's been perfect for this, allowing me to pick up at the level that I'm at, rather than starting from the beginning. And as it's available on both desktop and as an app on my phone, and lessons can be downloaded for use when not connected to the internet, I've been able to make use of time spent on planes and buses. I've already noticed a difference as I engage in conversations with locals and navigate everyday interactions in shops, restaurants and museums. Its true accent speech recognition feature has helped me to perfect my pronunciation and encouraged me to think in Spanish as well as just attempting to speak it. Over 30 years, Rosetta Stone has perfected its language learning method to create a program which is immersive, intuitive, and designed to promote long-term retention. It's also great value, with its current half-price membership giving you access to 25 languages for life. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Latin American History Podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It shouldn't have worked, but it did. Atahualpa's mistake was to underestimate the Spanish. After all, Pizarro's plan was that of a madman. Even so, it was foolish of him to go down to the square with a small, unarmed group of men the next day. The Spanish had spent all night getting their ambush ready. They had hidden in Cacamarca's buildings and arranged their gunmen so that they would have clear shots. Their horsemen were waiting out of sight, but ready to charge in. When Atahualpa arrived in the square, leading a small band of his most important advisers and generals, he found it completely empty. The Inca stood there for a moment, confused, before a priest, Vicente de Valverde, emerged and invited Atahualpa to come and see Pizarro. Suspicious now, Atahualpa refused. So Valverde started reading the requerimiento. The requerimiento, the requirements in English, was something which the King of Spain had ordered to be read to the indigenous people who the Spanish contacted. Spain wanted to conquer the territory for its own benefit, but part of its justification was the belief that it had a mission to do so because it would allow these indigenous people the opportunity to become Christian, for their own good, as the Spanish would no doubt argue. It consisted of an announcement outlining the fact that those who it was read to now had the opportunity to become subjects of the King of Spain and embrace the Christian God. It was their chance to avoid violence and forced subjugation. The glaring failures of this system are obvious. Putting aside the arrogance of it and pretending for a minute that it was actually a great opportunity for those it was read to. Explaining the whole Christian system in a short pronouncement would be impossible. Did the Spanish really believe that on the strength of a short speech, anyone would be convinced to give up their whole belief system and embrace this previously never heard of new one? Then of course, there was the fact that even if they did want to adopt this religion, it was tied up with giving up their political structures and sovereignty. You couldn't accept one without the other. All that the people it was read to would hear was a confusing soup of nonsense, which likely made no sense when interpreted through their own ways of understanding the world. They probably would have realised that it came with an underlying hint of threat built in. But that's if they heard it at all. Much of the time it would be read in Spanish to people who had never heard the language before. Once this offer had been made, if people somehow, for some reason, made the crazy decision to refuse it, the conquistadors had permission to use force. Needless to say, Atahualpa was not swayed. Valverde held up his book of prayers and told Atahualpa that much more detail on the true religion could be found inside. The Inca had their own complicated system of recording information through knotted strings which we still do not fully understand. They did not, however, use writing as we understand it and so Atahualpa would have never have seen a book. Intrigued, he asked to look at it. A good sign, Valverde would have thought. But when it became obvious that Atahualpa had no idea what to do with the book and he tried to help, Atahualpa pushed him away angrily 
and threw the book to the ground. He then started giving orders for his men to arm themselves. Both furious at how his sacred word had been treated, and knowing that if their plan was to succeed they would have to act now, Valverde rushed to Pizarro and told him to attack. Pizarro ordered the cannons he'd hidden away, facing into the square, to begin firing, and together they all rushed out from their hiding places. The trap had worked perfectly, but there was still no guarantee of success. Although the Emperor and much of his high command were unarmed and corralled inside the square, the masses of his army were still outside. If the Spanish could quickly massacre those in the square and capture Atahualpa, they might have a chance. This is exactly what happened. The horsemen went straight for the Emperor and quickly grabbed him. Everyone else went about killing everyone they could, showing no mercy. People were crushed as they tried to rush to the gates, and a section of the wall collapsed as people were pushed up against it. Once the square was empty, the horsemen went out and chased down more of the fleeing Inca. The whole thing lasted a couple of hours. By the end, it's estimated that about 6,000 Inca had been killed. Amazingly, we're told that not a single Spaniard had died. The Spanish had brought their indigenous allies, as well as some African slaves, with them. So while the sources say that no Spaniards were killed, I'm not sure whether this means that none of their non-Spanish troops were killed either. It wouldn't surprise me if any of their deaths had not been considered important enough to record. However, I've seen nothing saying that there were any. Everything had gone to plan. The leadership of the empire had been decapitated, and they had Atahualpa as their prisoner, and therefore their bargaining chip. Surely, as news spread, the fact that such a small group had been able to do this would create a legend, which, combined with their strange horses, guns, cannons and armour, and their strange appearance, would sow doubt in the minds of what was left of the Inca leadership, as well as the general population. Just as their strategy had mirrored that of Cortes in Mexico, so too did their current situation. Of course, Cortes had suffered serious setbacks after the capture of Moctezuma, but he had been successful in the end. Things were still shaky, but Pizarro could learn from the experiences of Cortes and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that he had made in Mexico. Cajamarca could not have gone better, and for now... The Spaniards could afford to take a breath. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at historyoflatinamericapodcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at historylatinam and if you've liked the show you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes Alternatively, if you visit the website you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos Most of these are my own taken during my time in Latin America all these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo.
That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.